Hello, and welcome to Customer Experience Leaders Chat by Nice Reply, where we talk to support professionals from all over the world and discuss what's behind their team's success. This interview is brought to you by Nice Reply, an all-in-one customer satisfaction tool that helps you measure and improve the quality of your customer service. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on a future episode, please reach out to us at podcast at nicereply.com. My name is Craig Stoss, and I'm here today with Matt Gilston, the Director of Customer Support at Seven Rooms. Matt, welcome to the program. Glad to be here, Craig. Matt, we're, we're going to talk about something that you might think is obvious, but is not often done in a great way. And that is that motivated agents create a better customer experience. You and I had a quick conversation before we chatted here, and I think some of the uh, things that you've done with your team are fantastic and, and something that our listeners can definitely model. So why don't we start with what is your approach to making sure your agents are motivated within a support team? Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a few different pieces here, but I think ultimately it's about making sure that the agent understands how their performance day-to-day rolls up into the goals of the department, which then roll up into the goals of the company. Uh, So obviously being very metric-driven is very important, uh, but it's also about understanding the employee as an actual person and not, not really fitting them into a box. We all know that there are the core responsibilities outside of the queue for any support organization, such as updating help center and knowledge base material, helping someone dive into metrics, um, you know, just the, just the general practices, training, documentation for the product. But it's very important to know what actually motivates your employees, um, what skills they bring to the table, what skills they're looking to learn, and really working on a one-on-one tailored plan with each of them to understand how they'll feel comfortable and motivated contributing to the larger organization. Um, and I think very frequently we kind of put people into a box in the support org and say, hey, you're going to help me with this and you're going to help me with this. Um, but I know that I don't really have all the answers. And, and I know that I'm looking to hire quality people at all times who can help me find certain answers that I may not be able to find myself. And so the, the way that I obtain those answers is by getting to know the employee on a really personal level and allowing them to kind of run in multiple directions with things and really encouraging them that nothing they can ever bring to me will be considered a failure or will be something that I reject right off the bat, right? Um, If you think it's too crazy, still let me know what it is. And I think that that leads to some really interesting projects, initiatives, and outlooks. You know, the other thing about motivating the employee that I found is very helpful, and I think people often forget, is that employee engagement, it starts far sooner than a lot of people think. And in my opinion, employee engagement actually starts prior to that person even being an employee. And what I mean is during the interview process, you know, you're looking for skills that they can bring to the table and understanding of what of their of the business that that they might be coming to. But you're also looking to kind of sell to them a little bit and and make them understand, you know, what a special organization like Seven Rooms is and, and how they'll have an amazing opportunity to contribute to such a special business. But also at the same time you're really motivating them and and making them want this job more than they did prior to getting on the call. Um, And so once they're bought in and motivated prior to even being an employee, they're, they're kicking down doors on day one to to get ramped up and and contribute to the business. So of course there's a lot of things that go into the sauce, but um, those are just some of the things historically I found have really helped with employee engagement and motivation. Hiring seems to be a huge component here. There's a certain type of personality that fits really well into what you've just described. And and I'm curious, what types of questions or how do you ensure that that the right persona is found during the interview process? You know, I think I dial it down. It's not even at a business level. It's about who you are as a person. 
Um, you know, I, I pride myself on being very empathetic and getting to know an, a future potential employee, even within 30 to 45 minutes of interviewing them and really, really getting a deep sense of, you know, are they being true to their word? You know, can they possibly make an impact in this organization? Um, so it's really about getting to, to know that employee, I feel like, during the process. But what's so important is, is being diverse in the hiring process, right? We all know that there's a, there's a cookie cutter version of, of, a, of a stellar supporter, right? They have great written skills, great, great verbal skills. You know, they have a fundamental understanding of the product. But those are all things that if they are not bringing that to the table when they join the org, in my opinion, those are the skills that can be taught, right? And so frequently what I've found is there is inherent value in hiring the best person for the job and training them to be the best supporter. And oftentimes I will get in an interview with someone who is a stellar supporter, but I don't know what else I can teach them. And that's kind of a big question that I ask those stellar supporters when I interview them is, what, what can I teach you? How can I help you grow? And if they can't confidently answer that, then they may have already outgrown the position and I may have. I might just be kicking the can down the road with their employment. And so what I found is that the, the best person for the job will always be able to learn the right skills in the support org. But I think that that is the most important thing to me. And oftentimes those people are bringing different skills to the table. That's so important for me in, in hiring and, and what's made Seven Room Support so special as an organization is that there are no two people that are the same on the support team. There are no two people that bring the exact same skills to the table every day. I've gone out of my way to hire people who bring certain things to the table that we currently don't have. And that way, it's really amazing to see the collaboration and where one person might be, might be lacking a certain skill, another person is really stepping up to the plate. And what you end up having is this world of, of totally different people that are, are learning skills from each other. And it's almost on autopilot. Like I'm stepping away and I'm watching them learn skills from each other you know, whether one person is more empathetic than the next person and they're helping them craft a response that might be a little bit more customer friendly or someone's a little bit more technical and really ready to roll up their sleeves and test things out. And so they're teaching them, hey, you know, this is what I typically do when, when I'm diving deep into a testing environment. So what I found is that diversification of your hiring is very important. Um, the employee engagement is very important and really about hiring the best person within reason, of course but hiring the best person to then become the best supporter. I mean, there is something in there that we probably could talk for the next you know, hour or two on. I, I'm a huge believer in, in the diversity of skills, um, you know, cultural ad versus cultural fit and those types of topics. Uh, and, and, and I would love to dive into that later with you. But where I want to go now is, is that often what happens is you hire these high, highly motivated people, you get them into their role and something doesn't click. The job becomes mundane, there's boredom, there's corporate politics or layoffs or whatever might happen in the startup world and, and motivation is stifled. So how do you stop that? What do you do on an ongoing basis with your team to make sure that productivity doesn't go down and that the, the motivation stays high, the morale stays high? Yeah, great question. And that's kind of at the core of everything. Um, and, and so what I've typically done is, is it's about keeping in constant contact with your employees. And I know as you grow out an org that gets a bit harder and you have to start trusting people who trust people, uh, but for what you can control and when you can control it, it's really about establishing a, a high level um, relationship with the employee. I call it uh, high level employee motivation basically. And what that is, is we're not sitting at our one-on-ones diving into metrics. We're not discussing whether they've hit this number or whether they fell short. 
we are at such a higher level than that on, on an emotional relationship level where we both know what motivates them. We both know where their shortcomings might be or what we can improve on. And it's really about taking that time to empower the employee. And what I always tell them is there's a few different ways I like to empower my employees. I use the same analogy that when you join, uh, when you join seven rooms on the customer support org, uh, you know, I'm effectively giving you a shovel and you're going to dig your path at seven rooms and whatever success you are able to achieve at seven rooms is because of you. And of course, if you're, you know, digging a little too far to the left or digging a little too far to the right, I'm going to be here to turn you back on your path. But what a liberating feeling to feel like whatever success you achieve at seven rooms is on your own volition. Right. And another way that I subtly try to remind people that the power really is in their hands is, you know, they do a lot of great things uh, in the support org, whether they're hitting our metrics or, or, you know, working in the trenches with the customers, like creating different documentation and projects. But it's not really about whether I'm proud of the employee. And so I try to avoid telling them that I am proud of them. What I try to make them realize is that they should be proud of themselves. And I think once again, that's very liberating. It's a, it's a different twist on what everyone's used to hearing. But if you're waiting for me to be proud of you, then you're seeking somebody else's validation. Support is going to always teach people a lot of important life skills. And I say that for them as well, right? You're not just learning how to succeed in seven rooms from nine to six. You will be learning skills that will not only benefit you in the way you communicate with customers and the way you write, the way you talk, but you're going to find that a lot of these skills will actually translate outside of your nine to six. These skills will come out, you know, when you're hanging out with friends, if you're on a date, you know, if, if you're trying to stick up for yourself in a certain situation, there's no rhyme or reason for when they will come out, but they typically will. And I think that's very empowering for the employee. And so it's a lot of these little micro moments that are almost low key shaping the way that they see how they can contribute to an organization. It's really a beautiful thing when you can achieve it that you don't have two versions of yourself. You don't have that Monday through Friday, nine to six version of yourself. And, you, and then you have another version where it's, you know, post 6 p.m. on weekdays and weekends and you're living for the weekend. Matt, I really love that analogy around the shoveling. I think that's something that everyone as a leader tries to do. And, and I also love this kind of twisting the idea of being proud of someone to being proud of yourself. And I, I do understand that that is an empowering approach but often in support, there is bad news. It could be, uh, you know, more corporate level, like a layoff or something, you know, objectively awful, or it could be extra work, a busy weekend, an influx of tickets or something that requires people to buckle down. Um, we covered talking about the good stuff, celebrating those wins, but how do we also talk to employees about the negative things? Yeah, definitely. It's definitely part of the job. And uh, I think everything I just alluded to, actually makes a lot of this a bit easier because there is that deep, deep level of trust to the point where the employees know that even if something bad is happening, even if we have to work overtime, they trust that I've gone out of my way to make sure that what they are receiving is absolute. It's a, it's a non-negotiable, it's a must-have. And so they always know that I'm in their corner. I think in those situations, there's, there's two different types. Um, Anytime you can rely on data or provide examples for the information you're about to give them, it makes it infinitely easier. And so that's why being data-driven, having those examples, whether it be in Slack, over email, just things you can point to, uh, data is king or queen, and that will never change in any SaaS org. And I think it's it's so true in a support org. Um, but of course, there's going to be bad news and, and events that may happen that are that you can't point to data. 
And I really think, once again, that's where that level of, of trust comes in, um, that level of respect and that level of trust where they know that, you know, you are a filter for the people above you so that whatever's coming to them, you've, you've fought, you've pushed back, and this is kind of how it has to be. So, you know, there really is no playbook for these types of things. It's, it's often very hard and, and very deflating. Um, any good manager should be able to provide a rationale that makes total sense. Um, and I think that's what's very important is oftentimes these these things happen and a lot and people might be left with question marks. They, they may not know everything they want to know and they may never know what they fully want to know. But it's very important that you're filling in as many gaps as you possibly can for them. So I would say there's two types uh, being data driven and just kind of having to have a flat out conversation. And neither of them are easy. But um, if possible, I always try to leverage data in these situations. I mean, data and trust are, are probably the two biggest things that any leader needs to needs to have a good handle on for sure. One of the other things that does impact motivation is change and, and startups, smaller companies tend to change really rapidly, uh, sometimes without a lot of notice. Um, let's let's talk about how that change is implemented and where it comes from. So, for example, when you're pitching a change, do you do you refer to the customer impact of that change, you know, feedback you've received? Um do you do you give a lot of transparency around the corporate nature of change or the or the the executive reasoning why this change is necessary? How do you make sure that the change is is pitched and executed in a way that everyone is is aligned and stays kind of sho shoveling in that right direction? Yeah, that's a great question. I think staying at a high level, most importantly, in terms of management, it's about the change to the individual before it's about a change to anything else. And the best way I've found to spin this is the opportunity that will now arise from these changes. Any change is a reason for opportunity. There's, there's no talking around that. And so when you pose it to your employees, even if it's such a foreign change or uncomfortable change, you as the manager, if you are able to recognize the opportunity that it will bring to that employee, you can always spin it positively. And it's true. Right. They're, you're not you're not throwing up a smoke screen or anything like that. You are telling them, hey, this is a change that is happening and this is how your life is going to be affected. But here are all the skills that you might be able to work on and here are all the opportunities that might arise from this change. And then the second part about it is how is this change rolling up into the goals of the org, which roll up into the goals of the business? Right. Because right now your org is operating under whatever we're doing. It's going straight to the top line. We have a fundamental understanding of how it works into that into our company's goals. Every, every change that you should be making should also be aligning with your company goals. Otherwise, you know, why are we making this change? And so as a manager, you know, you may not get that from the top down. They may not say to you, hey, we're making this change and this is how it's going to impact. Their reason for change might be we need to make this change. And so we're pivoting. And that's that. And it's up to you to really understand, OK, well, how is this change going to play into the into the, the bottom line of support org? And if I can't figure that out let's figure out what some of the standard support metrics are that we can now start to identify, track, analyze that we hadn't previously um, so that we can justify this change from a metric perspective. So there's a lot of moving parts here. You've just explained that change is constant. There's a bunch of different reasons for change. We've talked about the team growth and skills growth, you know, moving fast, rocket ships, as we talk about always in the, in the tech industry. Um, so sometimes you need to watch for things going the wrong way. You need to watch for people shoveling in the wrong direction. 
So what are some tips and tricks for our listeners on, on finding where those things are? What are the tripwires, the red flags, the things that you notice along the way to make sure you are correcting course and, and keeping the individual and team's motivation high? Yeah, definitely. That's, that's one answer where to me, it's very black and white, and that is in the data and the metrics. I think that there's a lot, to le- lot left to be desired with data and metrics. A lot of people take something that's so black and white and they don't leave any room for the emotional aspect of managing employees or running an org. But I think in that instance, it is very important that you are continually pushing the needle for what metrics you are tracking, how you track them, how much does a specific metric actually play into the employee performance, right? Of course, if I see a red flag, I'm going to address it. But in the grand scheme of things, is this a huge red flag or is this just a red flag that data is showing me, yet their performance is still at a high level? And so, you know, for me, it's always about trying to level up the way we track, the way we analyze our data. And, and that is really not trying in an attempt not to be super stale with, with what you're tracking. It's easy to get on autopilot and say, okay, you know, we are tracking these couple of things and so we're good. But I also think there's a difference between having true North Stars and being complacent. Like it's very important to what we call simplify and scale at seven rooms. And you know, those North stars are very important. And that should not be mistaken with being on autopilot. But as time goes on, the org is always shifting. You're bringing on new customers, you're opening new markets, you know, the problems are changing, the product is changing. And so you will quickly fall to the back if you don't always assess what metrics you're tracking. Um, and they don't have to be groundbreaking metrics. They can be metrics within metrics, right? If you're tracking total resolution time, you can track total resolution time within a certain part of the product using different tags. And so there's ways to get a m- little bit more granular, but at the same time, going back to my first example, if somebody's total resolution time is a little bit higher on one specific part of the product, sure, by definition, that's a red flag, but you know, you have to decide what's going on in the employee's life right now you know, it, you know, when you have these conversations, is this the right time to bring it up? Can you offer some type of actionable change or, or plan to help them, you know, bring that metric down a bit? Because if not, then you're just stating a problem and you're not really giving many solutions. And I think oftentimes that can be very deflating for an employee is, you know, exactly that when you're presented with a lot of problems, but not solutions from the person who's supposed to be helping you drive those solutions. I'm not necessarily here to provide the exact solution. I'm, I'm going to give you a lane in which you can operate to find that solution, but I want to make that lane big enough where you feel like you can still steer. Matt, this whole conversation has been super insightful. I hope our listeners learned something that they can take away to help motivate their teams towards a better CX. Thank you so much for sharing your insight with us today. Yeah, it's an honor and a pleasure to be here and uh, just really thankful that you're able to have me on. Absolutely, Matt. Thank you so much for taking the time. And thank you all for listening to Customer Experience Leaders Chat by Nice Reply with today's guest, Matt Gilston from Seven Rooms. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please leave a rating or share it with others. And make sure to check out our other support interviews and quality content at NiceReply.com.